Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Lord, we agree that we have messed up your body, the church. We repent, Jesus. We are willing to change our ways to your ways. We desperately want to change directions from decline to health and growth, to become proficient in the commission that you gave us. We rejoice in your promise of forgiveness. Thank you for the new life you have given each of us and all of us as your church. Help us, Lord, to be in your will, not in your way. And all God's people said, amen. Welcome to, if you can believe this, episode number nine, the last 13 theses of our 95 theses. It's not a simple issue, is it? It's a complex issue, and a lot of people think the church is just a simple kind of organization. It is not. It is probably one of the most complex bodies in the world. I'm praying that as we go through these last theses, that you will see the need for renewal. Of course, the bottom line is that there are some things we need to change, and change is not easy. It just works. Theses 82. Jesus invested three years developing kingdom culture in the lives of his disciples. There is a reason Jesus spent three years. That reason is because developing kingdom culture takes time. In other words, it's not a quick fix. This is what it means to become kingdom people. And so we're looking at a cultural issue here. It's not a program you do. It's all about how we become transformed into someone we become 24-7 for life. It is a very personal and relational and total reconstruction job. And that's what Jesus did. And he did it for three years with these disciples. Now, he wasn't working with Christians. They weren't Christians at the beginning. So you might say, well, we could do more than 12, or we could do it faster. Well, I remind you that, yeah, they may not have been Christians, but you're not Jesus. And we have a culture that is not just passive, but antagonistic in many ways among many people, among the media, in all sorts of nuances against what we're trying to do. But God is God, and he's more powerful than anybody anywhere. And it can happen. It can happen to us. And I think it will. I think we're on our way. Number 83, the thesis is this. Churches are infatuated with quick fix programs. Jesus focused on growing the children of God. Uh, the point of this thesis is that it's more like growing people, like growing children, like raising children, than it is like some quick program. You know, there are lots of folks over the last oh, several decades, where churches are beginning to wake up that'll have kind of quick fix programs that are very attractive, buy a box, get a program, read a book, have someone come for a short time and speak to your church, and then everything's going to change. And it doesn't. And it's because quick fix is not the answer. But Jesus is the answer, and he will grow us. His greatest hurdle is in us, and it has to do with our willingness, not his power. He can get the job done. We just need to let him in. Thesis number 84, Jesus developed a following who were different from the ways of the world. The disciples were different. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, 
And what it means is that his kingdom is not like the world that you see all around you. It never was. It wasn't in Israel, and it isn't anywhere. It never will be. We are different as Christians. We need to be different if we're going to really be effective. In some ways, we need to be different than the world. Unfortunately, a lot of churches have drifted into a maze of approaches and activities and directives that are imported from the secular world. It's hard to say that, and it's hard to admit it, but it's the beginning of a new day. So these secular efforts, baptized as sacred, don't make them sacred. And the sum total of these secular efforts is that they are ineffective in reaching the world for Christ. That's why most of our churches are declining. There are more empty seats. People are getting older. Even though that's the objective of our churches is to grow, we have missed the mark. We are not there. And many of these secular issues that have drifted into the church have nuances that are very subtle, but they are deadly. Well, they don't kill people. The faith in your heart will withstand these nuances, but they're deadly in the sense that they kill churches slowly over time. I mean, the enemy wouldn't let it happen fast because then you'd get it right away and improve and change. No, the enemy's subtle and the enemy is going for the jugular. The entity that Jesus created, the people that are called out out of this world that are different from this world, the church, which has become very much like this world. Make sense? Number 85, the movement launched by Jesus uses the infectious principle. The movement launched by Jesus uses the infectious principle. Yeah, well, Christianity is supposed to be infectious. People catch it from people who've got it. That's the way it's supposed to work. And it's supposed to grow so rapidly, so proficiently. This is normal for the church, not abnormal, that it turns into a Jesus epidemic. And we see it in many places where there are revivals. Throughout history, there have been many examples of this. This is not difficult for God if we get out of the way. This is very simple for God. He can do this. He can do it with your church. He can do it with you. But we first have to get out of the way and be willing to move in his ways. Number 86, unbelievers rarely become believers by a process of membership in a church. We put so much effort and stress on membership, but when people join a church, they're joining the body of Christ. They're joining Christ. This is a spiritual thing, not a institutional thing. It's not institutional by nature. It is spiritual and relational. So we elevate membership, but we have allowed discipleship to fall to the basement, and we've got it backwards. Christianity is caught not like you catch a ball, but like you catch the flu. The Jesus epidemic occurs when people are discipled to be disciplers. The end game for a disciple is to become a discipler, and a discipler, by definition, is constantly contagious wherever they go whoever they meet. And I know people like this. I have become one of these people. I was not one of these people earlier in my career as a pastor. I'll be honest. I never caught it through the system. I think my church in my early days was contagious, but when I got into the institutional form of college and seminary, you know, maybe it wasn't the seminary or the college, maybe it was me, but I kind of got into the academic pattern. And it became more like a program, activity, knowledge than a relationship with Christ, an infectious principle 
like membership. So instead of membership being at the top of our objective for new people into the body of Christ, we have to change that from institutionalism to a relationship with Jesus, from membership to discipleship. Number 87, the expansion of the Christian movement occurs when spiritually infectious Christians relationally interact with those in their relationship circles. And that can be a casual relationship, somebody you just bump into or talk to at the grocery store, checkout person, or it can be a long-term relationship like our children or our grandchildren or other relatives or our boss or the people where we work. That expansion of the movement occurs when we are spiritually infectious. Number 88, Christianity grows by exponential explosion like an epidemic. Centers for Disease Control deal with epidemics all the time. They know that you have to quarantine people or other people are going to get it. Well, the question is, are you quarantined at your church that's so focused on bazaars and selling pies at the fair and a bunch of other stuff stuck in a rut of secular practices? Church leaders, therefore, and this is part of the thesis 88, church leaders need to nurture this holy infection in the lives of Christians. And then Christians nurture that holy infection in one another. Parents nurture that holy infection in their children. Workers nurture that holy infection with their fellow workers. Neighbors nurture that holy infection with their neighbors. You get it. Thesis number 89, programs and activities exhaust Christians and actually inoculate them from the discipleship model of Jesus. If you're so wrapped up in all these activities at church, Every one of those activities doesn't put you in contact with an unchurched person, a non-Christian. And so what happens is you're so focused, it becomes inbound rather than outbound. It becomes inbred rather than infectious. And so we get exhausted and we're inoculated by these activities. But if we really focused on just discipling people, we would turn them loose, which is not hard to do because they leave after the worship service. They go to their jobs, they go to their neighbors, they interact with people at the grocery store. It's not hard to release these people to do this, except if they're exhausted from keeping the institution operating, doing things that never make a difference. So yeah, when Jesus said, go make disciples, this approach is not a quick fix. It's more like raising a family. Thesis number 90, the church is not a corporation, even though it is by government standards, a not-for-profit corporation, even though it's not-for-profit, it is not a corporation. The metaphors of the New Testament describe the church as not a place where you work, because where you work is not at that place. Where you do the work of the kingdom is out in the community, not at the facility, if you're balanced right. So the metaphors used in the New Testament talk about the church as a living organism, the body of Christ, the vine, and the branches, the branches that are even pruned back, which means making some changes in the church and pruning some things out of the church. And why? Why did Jesus talk about the vine and the branches? Why are they pruned? So that they produce more fruit. Are you willing to enter a season of pruning back, getting back to basics, getting back to what it means to be the body of Christ. Because it's a clear promise in the scripture, in this body called the body of Christ, the church, 
when all the parts are working as they should and Jesus is the head of the body, the body grows and builds itself up in love. That's not once in a while. That's all the time. That's every time. That's every church. That's all the time if we are being the body of Christ. Thesis number 91. Developing Kingdom Culture focuses on the deconstruction, that's the pruning, of the culture of the world and imprinting followers of Jesus with his DNA. We're going to unpack that further in the coming thesis as we wind up these 95. 92. Many Christians are biblically illiterate about kingdom culture, and there's a reason for that. As we have done research on this, we've discovered that only 36% of the people in the thousands of churches that we've worked with, only 36% attend a small group regular Bible study. So you've got about a third of the people that are growing, and the rest of them, whatever comes in a sermon is a, a little shot, but it doesn't work like the small group does. They might be listening to a preaching message once a week, which is helpful. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. But the culture issues of the scripture are more easily caught and nurtured when there is a relational discussion about spiritual issues. Well, you can't do that in a worship service. It would be mass chaos. So you got to have a preacher. It's got to be one-way communication. Maybe in some churches, uh, an occasional amen or hallelujah, which is at least a start in the right direction. But the point is, is that real kingdom culture, the real heartbeat of what really helps the church the most is caught and nurtured in a relational setting like a small group where there can be a discussion about those spiritual issues and people can share their God stories just spontaneously, spurred by whatever you're discussing about the Bible study, where people hear from other disciples. And that's encouraging when you hear those. And it's even encouraging when people share challenges and wrestle with spiritual difficulties. All of those things are nurturing the kingdom culture. So when you get to the bottom line, preaching is great. It's just not enough. It will never be enough. It can't be enough. It just can't get the job done. So the need for small group opportunities where people are sharing with one another in a relational, connected, knitted group at a level of relationship that's much different than being in a worship service, but where you get to be really close to each other and you open up with things that you're not going to share in front of the whole church and how you've grown and the way the Holy Spirit works in that kind of a setting is totally different. And so when we're looking at a little over a third of the people in those kind of Bible studies, if only a third of your body was working, you'd be somewhat paralyzed. Well, the body of Christ, the local church, is greatly paralyzed because it's not being nurtured. It's not getting the life culture that Jesus gave to his people. And what is that culture? Let's going to talk about that. We're going to start with thesis number 93. Thesis number 93 is kingdom culture includes kingdom values. So what are kingdom values? Well, they're all over the New Testament. Every time Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this, that, and the other thing, he said often, what are the values? It's what is really important. I think that if people really had kingdom culture in the church and got this understanding of what's value by God, a lot of this stuff that wears people out and causes the church drift and effectiveness 
would never occur because people would have different values. They would know what's important and what is not. And the more you train people in kingdom values, they're just not going to get involved in these things. They'll probably die a natural death. Hallelujah. And they'll also recognize what's not important, what's not important in life, what's not important at work, what's not important about money, or what is important about the use of time, what is important about the use of our money, what is important about work, what is important about life, all the aspects of life, daily life in this secular world. So that's what values does. It focuses on what is important from the kingdom perspective, not the world perspective. Thesis 94, kingdom culture is what you demonstrate as true. Not in theory, but what you demonstrate as true. It also includes your attitude. That's your posture toward God. It also includes, as a culture, your priorities, what you will do first consistently. Because you can't do everything. You do everything, you do nothing well. You have to pick and choose. That means you need priorities. Another part of kingdom culture is worldviews. How you understand the world and understand the way the world works how you understand the world of the kingdom of God and how that world works and how you understand and how you live with these values and how you understand truth and your attitudes and your priorities and your worldviews as they are given to you through the eyes of Jesus, the king, the ruler of the universe. Thesis number 95, the hope of any society is Jesus. The healthy church is the hope of the world. What am I saying in this last thesis? Well, I'm saying that the hope of the world is not the government. So if you're discouraged about the government, don't get surprised. And there's a lot you can't do about it because it's bigger than you are. You can pray for your government leaders. In fact, the Bible tells you to do that. The hope of society is not science. Science is great. It has brought us so much technology, so many improvements for our lives. I was just talking the other day about in the wintertime, how great it is to have a garage door opener. I just don't know why anybody wouldn't have a garage and a garage door opener so you can drive in from the rain and the snow or whatever's out there and get out of their car in their garage and push the button and close the door. It sounds like an extravagance, but it's a wonderful thing science has brought us. All this kind of stuff. But it isn't the way of salvation. It's not going to change people's lives. We know a lot of rich people that are not Christians and have destroyed their lives in all sorts of ways. Personal development yeah, that's not the hope for our society. It's not a bad thing. It's great to develop yourself personally. It's great to get all the education you can. I plan never to stop learning till the day I die. I just think learning is an ongoing process, and it's a big deal. It's important. But learning and education is not the redemption of the world or our society. Jesus came to redeem this fallen world, not a university. He prepared his disciples to be influencers of what is best for society, what is best for humankind, what is best for the planet. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered the community platform for disciples. The church was birthed, and it's a gathering of believers equipped and commissioned to impact others. Yeah, the church is the hope of the world. Pray for your church. Love on your church. Pray for your leaders. Love on those people. Some next steps as we close. If you haven't already, I encourage you in all humility, not boasting, read the book, Who Broke My Church? The Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. And as you might guess, there are a few parts of it that overlap with these 95 theses. Secondly, as a next step, you might want to consider hosting the workshop, Who Broke My Church? Reaching the Unchurched. 
This workshop can be hosted by your church. You can invite people from other churches. You can have people from your church come. It's a one-day workshop. Sometimes, beyond reading a book, it's important to hear from people that can also respond to questions and give more meaning to your immediate situation. As a third step, you might consider a visit from a church doctor, what we call a church consultation. You know, every once in a while, if you're a smart person, you go see your doctor and you get a physical. Well, that's what a church doctor does with the church, the body of Christ. They start with a number of surveys that are anonymous, and everybody in the church fills them out, and nobody knows who says what. Nobody's put on the spot. No one's embarrassed, but you get a snapshot. Actually, you get dozens and dozens of snapshots of all kinds of issues that are important for your church. They're like x-rays or CAT scans. They reveal things about your church that you may not know. Those surveys represent decades of development and use and improvement. So have a physical, or you might want to call it a spiritual, since it's the physical of a church, and you'll get recommendations based on what those surveys say. And people will be interviewed one-on-one -on -one in confidential interviews, and your consultant will come back and give a report and talk about that. You know, smart people that are smart about their own human body get a checkup once in a while. Smart churches do the same thing. Another fourth and final next step that I would consider and ask you to consider would be the Healthy Churches Thrive spiritual movement. It is a three-year movement in a church. It is paid for by individuals who choose to pay for it above and beyond what they give in their tithe and offering to the church. And it doesn't impact the church's budget, but it grows kingdom culture over the same period of time that Jesus did that. It doesn't interfere with other things you do in your church, but it starts with those people who are willing. It doesn't force anybody to do anything. It grows with those people who are willing, and then they relationally invite others to get involved. And then if they say they want to be involved, great. If not, that's okay. There's no pushing. There's no top-down because a movement is bottom-up, and it is a movement. It's gentle. It's plant seeds. It nurtures the children of God. Those are just some next steps. I don't know how much you resonate to these 95 theses, but whether you found some to be very challenging, that's okay. They're challenging to me, too. I've been where you are. I know people, and I work with people that find them challenging. Others immediately made sense to you, and you said, yeah, we got to do something about that. And maybe others are unfamiliar to you. That's okay, too. But my hope and prayer is that from this series, you will take your church more seriously, because I promise you 100% your church is the hope of your community. Your church is the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the head of the church and wants to be in control. Let him rule, and you will be amazed at what God will do through your church and even through you. That's my hope for you. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.